Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. During our sermons, we've been looking at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in your Bibles in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And so we've been kind of working through that sermon passage by passage. And when you get to the middle of Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 6, there's a place where he expands on teaching on prayer and where he gives us what we often call the Lord's Prayer. And so as Jesus expanded to teach on prayer, we're kind of expanding on it for a few weeks, and we're kind of slowing down and going through the specific phrases and petitions of the prayer. And today, we're going to think about these petitions where Jesus says in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me read for us the Lord's Prayer, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll begin looking at those petitions. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever and ever. So let's go before Him now and ask for His help this morning. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that... You have given to us Your Word, that we have the very words of Jesus before us teaching us how to pray. Um, And Father, we thank You that we can come before You together as a body of people, of believers, and and some here unbelieving. Um, But we thank You that we can gather Together this morning, no matter what we're facing in life, and some of us are hurting and discouraged and anxious, others are thankful to be here, and um, some are doubting, and some are uh, feeling as though they've never walked as closely with you as they have right now in their life. And uh, There's a variety of other places that we come from this morning as we walk through these doors, Um, but we thank you that at the end of it all, we're really all the same, Um, and we need the same thing because we're all far more broken um, than we know, more sinful than we've ever really dared to imagine. Um, But because of Jesus... And because of His person and work, we can be assured through the Gospel that at the very same time, we are also far more loved and secure and accepted and delighted in than we could have ever dared dream was possible. And we need that good news to fall upon our ears again this morning or even for the first time in order that we might be changed by it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
So slowing down uh, to work our way through the Lord's Prayer, I think, is really how we learn how to properly use this prayer. It's a, it's a model of prayer right, that Jesus gives us. And understanding these particular petitions and phrases and all the biblical theology and content that's loaded into them is how we learn how to properly use the prayer. Um, <clears throat> years ago, I was building a shed in, in our backyard, and at a certain point, I had to pry something apart. I, I, I don't remember what it was, but I do remember being too lazy to go get the right tool to do it. Um, you know, a pry bar or even a flathead screwdriver or something like that. Um, so what I did was I took out my pocket knife and I locked it in place and, um, and I went to prying with the blade of the knife and unfortunately the lock failed and the blade slammed shut on my finger and I got to see the inside of one of my knuckles um, and uh, you know before the blood started gushing out and so <clears throat> I called this doctor friend of mine and told him what, what happened and told him that I needed stitches and so he, he had me come over to his office, and he treated me to both uh, stitches, which I needed, um, and a little lecture on how to properly use a knife, a pocket knife. Because, um, of course, if you don't use a pocket knife properly, you can inflict a lot of damage upon yourself. And um, here's what I'm saying. If we fail to understand this prayer and we fail to use it properly, we can actually inflict a lot of damage upon ourselves. Um, we can hurt ourselves with it even. Uh, be frustrated with it for sure and frustrated by it. Um, wonder to ourselves and resent the fact that we feel like it's not working the way we think it should. But when you slow it down, um, you start to realize some things. And one of the very first things that you realize when you slow this prayer down is that there is so, so much to pray before you ever give any attention or thought to your life or your needs and what you think those needs are. I mean, roughly the first half of the prayer is all about God, right? Who He is, our Father in heaven who loves us and invites us to be with Him and to commune with Him in prayer. Right? Adoring Him for His glory and for His beauty. Hallowing His name, right? Finding Him, as we talked about last week, to be our still point of beauty in the midst of our turbulent and turning and broken worlds. You know, we've come through all that so far, and we're still not ready to think about our needs, Jesus says. Right, two more petitions come first, praying for God's kingdom to come and praying for His will to be done. I mean, it, 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 here's what I'm getting at, and then we can jump into our points for today. Even the order of this prayer is it, it, telling us that one way to not use this prayer properly and that you can inflict damage upon yourself with it it is to come to prayer thinking it's primarily about getting God to meet your needs, whatever you think those are. I mean, the prayer does its work of actually beginning to heal us 
as it teaches us that there's nothing more important than at the very first taking your eyes off of yourself and your needs and wondering at God's glory and seeking His kingdom first and His will. So I want us to think together today about God's kingdom and His will. And these are my three points that I'm going to try to follow. Um, The administration of God's kingdom, the coming of God's kingdom, and submitting to God's kingdom or in God's kingdom. The administration of and the coming of God's kingdom. And finally, how we can submit in God's kingdom. So first, the administration of God's kingdom. We've got to understand a bit about what God's kingdom is before we go much further. And as Americans, we understand we're not all that familiar with kings and kingdoms, except for maybe a, a bit here and a bit of pageantry here and there that we watch on TV from across the Atlantic every once in a while. And I realize this is a risky thing this morning to bring up um, college football after last night. Um, but I, I once heard Tim Keller define God's kingdom as um, an administrate as an administration that works a lot like a football coach who's taking over a major college football program. Um, It's a great little illustration, and one we certainly can relate to in Baton Rouge is we've seen new coaches come, old coaches go, and all that kind of stuff. See, when, when a new coach comes in, it's very clear that he's not running a democracy, right? He's a king, and he's laying down law. And he's even getting rid of staff and bringing his own staff in. Everything's starting over. And and he's got a whole new way of of doing things than the previous administration, right? And so he comes in and he's got a particular vision and he has unique values and expectations for this program. And what he's doing is he's trying to establish, move over just a little bit, that sun's chasing me, is he's trying to establish a new culture. Right? A whole new of way of doing life for those who are in the program. And under a great coach's authority and administration, there's success, right? The team comes together and players flourish and they live up to their fullest potential and they become what they were meant to be. The kingdom of God is God's administration, It's his authority. It's his rule. In Matthew chapter 4, just two chapters previously, Jesus began his public ministry with these words. Repent, right? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the first thing out of his mouth when he began his public ministry. Because he was saying, I am the true and rightful king. And I have come to establish my kingdom to set up my administration, a whole new way of doing life, a whole new culture with a particular vision and and unique values. And it's under his administration, the Bible says, and only under his administration that life flourishes and you can become who you were meant to be. Look, when you open your Bible and you follow Jesus through the Gospels, his particular vision for his kingdom administration becomes quite clear. And there's all kinds of different ways to look at it, but you know, his kingdom vision 
is clearly that He came into this world to defeat sin and death and brokenness and to redeem and restore and mend His creation. You think about His miracles. I mean, the Son of God who could do anything He wanted to do with His power. And His miracles were never flexing His muscles for show. I mean, I suppose he could have shot lightning out of his fingertips, you know. He could have floated three feet above the ground through the streets of Jerusalem, and the crowds would have been amazed. Wow. But he never used his power like that. He always and only used his power to bring healing and restoration, to undo the effects of the fall in sin. Because his miracles were signs of his kingdom vision. Right, saying he came to undo sin's curse and to redeem and restore his creation. So he made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and he fed the hungry. Right, he healed the sick. Right, he delivered from oppression those who were possessed by demons. The lame who were carried to him on their mats walked home with their mats under their arms. He lifted a dead little girl right through the shroud of death and gave her back to her family. I mean, his vision was to kill death, to break all the brokenness in his world, to destroy destruction, to triumph over sin and its curse, and to cause life to flourish and to make us what we were meant to be. He came into this world to give us back What the fall and our sin has taken from us. The vision of his kingdom administration was to redeem and restore humanity, to mend brokenness, remake the world. Um, But if you keep following Jesus through the Gospels, you don't just see his kingdom vision, his particular vision, but you also get a taste of the unique values of his kingdom administration. Right? Values which are completely upside down to the values of the world. Right? Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, those who are blessed are not the competent, are not the comfortable, are not the powerful, are not the satisfied. Right? The blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, The meek, those who hunger and thirst. I mean, these are all Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5, which we looked at a couple months ago. And they're the gateway into the rest of Jesus' sermon. Because Jesus was saying, these are the values of my kingdom, and it's why my people seek reconciliation with their brothers, whether they're right or wrong. Right? It's why my people keep their word even if it hurts them to do so. It's why they turn the other cheek and radical forgiveness. It's why they extend radical love, not just to their friends, but to their enemies. It's why they give their money away in radical generosity. I mean, his kingdom values flip upside down the values of this world. In his kingdom, the only way you can be rich is to give your wealth away. In his kingdom, the only way that you can be happy is to seek the happiness of others. In his kingdom, the only way for you to find your life is for you to lose your life. In his kingdom, the way to greatness 
is to become a servant. And the least of all, it's upside down. You know, we could go on and on about the vision and values of Jesus' kingdom administration, but I want to leave you with this before we get to the next point. In the book of Revelation, John uh, wrote about Jesus ruling and reigning over his kingdom from his throne. He wrote this, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is the promise of his kingdom. That if you come under his rule and authority, he will begin to make you new. He will restore you to bit by bit, slowly by surely restore what the fall and sin have taken from you and make you what you were meant to be. And he'll set you free to see this world brand new in a different way, to see through the values of this world, right, and live according to the values of his kingdom. It's under his authority and administration and only under his authority and administration that life flourishes and you become what you were meant to be. Let's move on. Second, let's talk about the coming of God's kingdom. So Jesus' kingdom has come. I mean, he started his ministry saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is breaking into this world, Jesus was saying. And he promises that under his reign, he is making all things new, which brings up a very serious question. If that's true, then why does my life feel like this? If he's making all things new, why do I experience in this life so much pain and injustice and sorrow and failure and struggle and loss? On and on we could go. Well, the Bible's answer to that is it's because God's kingdom has already come but it hasn't yet come in its fullness. Right? There's a coming day that we're all waiting for when all death will be fully and finally put down and all things are going to be put right, when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. You know what? In that day, the meek will finally inherit the earth. Right When those who've hungered and thirsted for righteousness will be fully satisfied. When those who mourn will fully and finally be comforted. When the poor in spirit will enter into the fullness of God's kingdom. But we live between the times. Between the times, which is why Jesus tells us to pray and to ask for God's kingdom to come. And it's why Jesus tells us a few verses later in chapter 6 to seek first the kingdom of God. You know, it's thinking about this future coming kingdom and asking for this coming kingdom and seeking this coming kingdom that really moves us towards very bold prayer and bold action in God's kingdom. We're anticipating a coming kingdom that isn't an escape from this world, but the healing and the restoration and the renewal of this world. And we get to play a part 
in that future kingdom being more and more revealed in this world through our praying and our action. Puritan Thomas Watson um, wrote this. He wrote, the kingdom of grace is nothing but the beginning of the kingdom of glory. The kingdom of grace is glory in the seed. And the kingdom of glory is grace in flower. And it's having a vision of God's coming kingdom glory of all death being put down and everything being put right that is what propels us into bold prayer and bold action that we might see more and more the budding of the flower of the kingdom of glory in this life breaking into this world. You know, this is why C.S. Lewis noted that if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. You want to see more healing of the brokenness of this world than spend lots and lots of time thinking and praying for God's coming kingdom that you might be effective in this life. How does that work? How does a vision of God's coming kingdom propel us into prayer and action, bold prayer and action? I want to illustrate it like this. Years ago, I remember this one Christmas um, when my sweet little Caroline, oh, she's getting blushing over there. Um, she really wanted this dollhouse, right? And we were so excited to buy her this dollhouse. We knew it was what she would want. You know, we knew she would be so happy to see it Christmas morning. So on Christmas Eve, after the kids went to bed, I got out this huge box that said somewhere on it, some assembly required. Um, and I dumped out all the contents, right? And give or take, they're, you know, about a million pieces. And um, I may have cried, poured myself an extra cup of eggnog. But um, in the end, I got to working, right? And it took me hours <laughs> to put this thing together, to put all the pieces together. And, and here's the thing, it took me even longer than that because I didn't stop at just assembling the frame of the dollhouse, right? I, 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 just the bare bones. I went in and I hung little curtains in the living room and, I, you know, I, I took, arranged tiny little furniture in the rooms and I, I set the kitchen table with these miniature forks and spoons and all with my, you know, fat, clumsy man hands. And my question, why did I work so hard for so long on that dollhouse on Christmas Eve? It, pretty simple for me because on the front of this gigantic box <laughs> was a picture of this little girl, Caroline's age. And she is playing with the fully assembled dollhouse with all the curtains and furniture and kitchen table set, right? And she had this huge smile on her face. And I wanted to bring that picture into reality to see that kind of smile on my Caroline's face Christmas morning. I mean, it was that picture, it was that thought of it completed 
and finished that propelled me into the work. And Jesus says, in this teaching us in this prayer, before you go any further in praying, before you think about what your needs are, your daily bread, I want you to think about and pray about your involvement in my coming kingdom's glory. You know, again, John in the book of Revelation, he heard Jesus speaking from his throne about the coming of God's kingdom. These are familiar verses. You've probably heard some of these. This is what he wrote. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. A coming day when God himself will wipe away all tears. A coming kingdom in which all death is put down forever and everything is put right. And I'm asking you for just a second to imagine it, to envision it. Because, you know, death is present wherever life is diminished. You know, its icy fingers are what pervade all sickness and loneliness and fractured relationships and broken careers and poverty and sorrow and crying and pain and infertility and injustice and suffering and greed and bitterness and self-centeredness and racism and classism and abuse just to identify a few things. And I'm asking, are you thinking and dreaming and praying about God's coming, coming kingdom where all death is going to be put down and life and everything is restored? So are you asking God about the opportunities that he has put before you in his sovereignty, in your neighborhood, in your school, to befriend the lonely, to come alongside those who are hurting? Are you engaged in some way in our city to put an end to the cycles of injustice and racism and poverty? You know, what are you doing in your work to end suffering and and greed and exploitation and to bring restoration into the world? Are you thinking about people you can invite and bring to church to hear the gospel? I mean, that's a whole point in itself, but it's through the preaching of the cross that the kingdom is revealed and advanced. And God establishes his kingdom. There's tons of other questions to ask and reflect and pray about. And here's what I'm saying. Those will begin to become clear to you the more you think about, the more you dream about, the more you envision God's coming kingdom where all death is put down and life is restored. All right, last, I want to talk about submitting in God's kingdom. So here's the... The prayer uh, petitions that we're looking at this morning, your kingdom come and then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Technically, these are, I guess, two petitions in the Lord's Prayer, a prayer for God's kingdom to come and a prayer for His will to be done on earth. Um, But I do think they are related. 
um, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, it, it, that is the practical, concrete answer to the question of what it looks like for God's kingdom to come. Right? What it practically looks like for us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor as ourself and to seek his kingdom first. All the things we were just talking about, it's what it practically looks like. His will being done is what it looks like for your life to flourish and for you to become who and what you were meant to be. So Jesus calls us here to submit to God's will in his kingdom. To pray your, well, this is a quote, to pray your will be done is not only an aspiration and hope, but an act of submission. And I want us to think about two practical ways we're to pray that we would submit to God's will. And then I want us to consider how we can find the power to submit. And I'll try to do this fairly briefly. But Thomas Watson, I mentioned him a moment ago, Puritan theologian. Um, He wrote that when we pray this prayer for God's will to be done, we're praying two things. This is what he wrote. We pray for two things. One, for active obedience, that we may do God's will actively in what he commands. And two, for passive obedience, that we may submit to God's will patiently in what he inflicts. Just briefly, I'm going to get you started on thinking about these two ways we're, we're praying to submit to God's will in his kingdom. One, we're to pray that we will be actively obedient in all, God, in all that God commands. C.S. Lewis wrote, Christianity was hated, not at bottom because it pictured Jesus as man, but because it pictured him as king. Right? We naturally hate the idea that he's king. Because we don't want anyone telling us what's right and wrong, what we can and can't do, because you know what it is. It is a threat. It is a confrontation. It is a challenge to our autonomy. And most of all, when we may not agree to what he says, when he calls you to turn the other cheek and to love your enemy and to give your money away and you're thinking, that feels so unsafe in my relationships. And that feels so unsafe in this economy. Even unwise. And he says, I'm calling you to submit. To actively obey what I command. You know, when he calls you to speak the truth, and you know that if you do, it is going to bring suffering into your life. When he calls you to a particular sexual ethic, and you know it means you're going to have to die to your desires and feelings. When he calls you to love the unlovely and those who will never love you in return, and you know that's going to hurt. You know, Amy Carmichael, um, famous missionary to India, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, she wrote, if you have never been hurt by a word from God, 
it is probable that you have never heard God speak. She's saying Jesus' authority, at times, it is going to hurt and cut us to the quick because he's the king who calls us to active obedience, whether we agree with him or not. His kingship and his kingdom is a challenge to our autonomy. So we pray for grace. We plead for grace to actively obey all that he commands. The second thing Watson says we're praying in this petition is to pray for passive obedience. To submit to God's will patiently in all he inflicts upon us. There are things... There are things that God allows into our lives that we often do not understand. And God says, I want you to submit to my will and trust me in it. Probably why I'm tearing up. This point terrifies me. I I wanted to avoid preaching (laughs) this part of it. I mean, because he does allow dark providences to come into our lives. He at times allows suffering and even the experience of evil and injustice, the betrayal of friends, and awful diagnoses from doctors, and plans for your career that have gone down the drain and are beyond recovery and disappointments in ministry, and evil you couldn't protect your children from, and trauma with a big T, and all the million little cuts from trauma with the small T. And God says, I want you to submit to my will and trust me, even when that means the painful suffering I allow to come into your life that you do not understand and maybe will never understand in this life. Okay. If you can't do that, if we can't do that, you know what happens? And it's happened to some of us. We become hard and bitter and angry and resentful, and we're unable to rest in God's love. Which leads us to an important question. How do we avoid that? Right? How in the world can you find the power to submit in active and passive obedience? Which we're saying is to obey when you may not even agree with it. And to trust when you don't understand it. Well, here it is. You've got to look at Jesus. And you have to see him submitting for you. Right? If you follow Jesus through the Gospels, you will know that Jesus' father led him to a garden called Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. And there the father asked Jesus to submit to his will. To actively obey his father. To lay down his life at the cross. To 
passively obey and submit to the Father pouring out His wrath upon Jesus. And all the Gospel writers depict Jesus' intense struggle and anxiety about submitting to His Father's will. Right, Sweat was falling from Him like drops of blood as He pleaded with His Father three times to remove that cup of judgment and wrath. Three times that he prayed this petition in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 26, 39. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And you know the story. He did. He submitted in active and passive obedience to God's will. And that's, of course, a beautiful example in the Bible of surrendering and submitting to God's will in His kingdom. But an example is not what will give you power in your life to submit to God's will. It is seeing that Jesus was there in the garden, anxious and sweating drops of blood for you. He was there submitting to His Father for you out of the unsearchable depths of His love for you. Bearing God's just judgment for all your sin, defeating sin and death through His own substitutionary death for you so that you might be redeemed and restored and made new in His kingdom. And it's understanding that, that He was doing that for you. That is what will liberate you. That is what will give you power to submit when you don't agree and when you don't understand. That you would see His dying, submitting love for you and learn how to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, and we thank You for a time in our weeks that we can retreat from our ordinary lives and gather together as Your people to worship You. And an important part of that worship is that we would hear You speak. And Father, we thank You that we've had that opportunity this morning and we can listen to Jesus teaching us how to pray. And Father, we pray that You would indeed work in us. That You would allow us to see with the eyes of faith Jesus who submitted to Your will for us in order that we might find power to submit to You in all the smaller things You ask us to submit to in this life actively and passively. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, 
please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.